faith and action sheets. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll have someone come around and give them to you. We're talking about freedom today. And uh, this is the, uh, I guess, second installment. Last week we talked about freedom, living in freedom, experiencing the freedom that Christ provides for us is uh, in many ways contingent upon two things. Know who you are and know to whom you belong. Raise your hand if you need a sheet. Know who you are and know to whom you belong. That's the first, I think, basic building blocks of experiencing freedom in Christ. Said another way, you're limiting the amount of freedom you can live with and experience in your life if you don't know who you are. It's an identity issue. And if you don't know to whom you belong, if you think your life is your own, you're constricting or limiting the freedom in which you're called to live in Christ. I want to talk today about freedom in death. I want to talk about freedom in life and freedom in death. And how is it that the person of faith approaches death uh, and what do they experience in that emotionally as you think about your death, your imminent death? Are you afraid? Are you concerned? Uh, Do you understand? And are you living the free life prior to your death that God would have for you? Uh, we're, right, we're looking at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And we're listening now uh, to the words of Paul, the apostle, who is uh, writing from prison. He's in chains. And he is writing in chains about freedom. You say, what does a man in chains know about freedom? Well, I got news for you. I've been in enough prisons around the world. There are people in prison that have more freedom than people that are out. And I'm speaking the truth. Paul in prison is free. We're gonna take a look at just how free is this man. And he's writing about, of all things, joy and life and rejoicing. And he has a key to freedom here that I believe is lacking in the American church. Let's see if we can seize it, grab it, experience it, hold on to it, and make it a part of who we are, freedom. He's talking about, in the early part of the first chapter, right off the bat, some preach Christ out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. But he does come to the conclusion, all right, even if that's the case, he says, at least Christ is preached. Maybe with the wrong motivation, but at least Christ is preached, he says. He's preaching Christ in the jails and the palace guard is coming to the Lord. That's free. He's preaching Christ not knowing when the Caesar, Nero, will call him out and behead him. He has many things to be worried about. Many, uh, much judication lies ahead for this man, but he has total freedom, total peace in preparation for what lies ahead. And he's sharing that with these people. Before you wanna get into a freedom from bitterness or unforgiveness or unresolved conflict in your life, before we even start talking about getting freed up from such things, which many encounter in life, we have to have this freedom of which I speak today. We have to have a freedom to know Christ and make him known. 
If we don't have a freedom to make him known, the easiest of acquisition of all freedoms, then we are limiting the amount of freedom we're gonna have for unforgiveness or unresolved marital issues or uh, your first or second divorce or, or whoever hurt you or betrayed you or all that other junk that's out there. Forget that, put it aside for a minute. The easiest freedom to seize and acquire is that of making Christ known. If Christ has done something on your behalf, his death, burial, and resurrection, if he's blessed you, if he's provided for you, if he's, if he's transformed your life, he's infused you with life, making him known should be the easiest, but for some people, they have no freedom to do so. They have a freedom of the fear of man. Once you get behind or beyond that Fear. Once you get beyond that lack of freedom, all the other freedoms will be easier to seize and internalize. Pastor after pastor, preacher after preacher will come out of the gate starting with unforgiveness and abusive past and being wronged and betrayed and cheated on and all those other things. But the one freedom that we always overlook, which is the most important essential building block in the gateway to all the other freedoms, is you have to have the freedom to let Christ speak through you, to have a liberty to make him known, to preach on him, to brag on him, to testify of him. If you're not free to do that, you're limiting the freedom that exists in all these other areas of your life. I'm just telling you the way it is. I'm not up here to mimic or copy someone else's ministry. I'm here to tell you exactly what the word says and what the Lord is saying to me. Get freed up in terms of sharing your testimony and who Christ is. Know who you are, to whom you belong, and I'm saying one step further, make it known to other people. If you can't do that, if you won't do that, don't expect freedom at the level that you need it in other areas of life. And don't expect that same freedom in your family. And I mean it. We need to know who we are and to whom we belong. And we need to be free with who we know, who we are, and to whom we belong. We cannot afford to operate in life with a governor on the speedometer of our soul that holds us back from being who he calls us to be. Moving on, he says in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, for to me, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's break it down. I eagerly expect and hope he is expecting and hoping for something prior to his imminent beheading and release from prison into absolute death. He's not believing for a release. He's not praying for deliverance. He's not looking for someone to break him out of prison. He's not looking for a way to escape. He's not looking for freedom. He's looking for the freedom of living in a manner in that situation that brings glory to God and does not bring shame to him. His greatest concern is that he's not ashamed with the message that's been given him. He's not concerned with release. That's true freedom. True freedom. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. The natural thing to do when we find ourselves imprisoned by a disease, by a circumstance, by a relationship, by anything, when we feel spiritually claustrophobic, hemmed in, without liberty or freedom, we could have missed a step along the way and we still have a career that's, that should have been let go of long ago, but now it's constricting us. It's keeping us from life. It's keeping us from family. It's keeping us from what, whatever, whatever kind of imprisonment you find yourself in. In the prison, you want to glorify Christ more than you want out of the prison. I remember uh, a woman came to me, and called on the phone, she says, I've got some horrific news, and the Lord told me it was ALS before she ever came to the office. She sat down in the chair, and I said, here it comes, and I wrote it down, ALS, on a piece of paper. She goes, I've been diagnosed with ALS. I, I turned it around, I said, I know. And she said, how did you know? I said, I don't know, I just wrote it down, I knew. So from that time on, the question was, two questions really, how do we pray you out of that prison, a literal physical prison by your own body after, after time? Your body becomes a prison to its own self. I said that the decision has to be made soon as to how this circumstance will become a ministry. How does your current reality, as awful as it may sound, become a tool to minister to your daughters, to leave a legacy, to plant something in them with this opportunity that no one else in their life will ever have the opportunity to do? How do you capitalize on this circumstance? That's freedom. That puts you in charge, not the prison or the imprisoning sickness. How do I use this and not be ashamed that I didn't? How do I use this to be free? I determine in the partnership with Christ, you determine in partnership with Christ when you're free and when you're not. Circumstances do not. You decide in partnership and relationship with Christ when you're free and when you're not. He decides, I'm not going to be ashamed. He is not, this is amazing, he is not amassing prayer movements to get him out of prison. He's more concerned with the palace guard coming to Christ. He's more concerned with his witness and the Roman influence. And he's more concerned about the Philippians. And he's more concerned about not being ashamed. He's eagerly hoping that he won't be ashamed because of his actions, that's freedom. Now, you start to taste that kind of freedom, this other freedom goes away quickly. You never drink of those waters of freedom, you're constantly battling these other things that seek to easily entangle you. That's the way it is. Freedom. I eagerly inspected hope, not for deliverance, not for release, not for freedom, not for a new attorney, not for delays, not for continuances. I, I eagerly hope I'll no way be ashamed in this situation. Who is this guy? 
I eagerly hope for the salvation of the entire palace guard, every one of them, and their families, and their households. Here's a guy who understands, no matter where he's planted, he will bloom where he's planted. Will you, will I, bloom where we're planted? See, if you know who you are and to whom you belong, being planted in the wrong garden doesn't really weigh you down. You know who you are and to whom you belong. You don't like the dirt you're planted in, but you're going to bloom in the circumstances. That's freedom. Until someone starts to preach and teach and counsel somebody to embrace the freedom that exists in situations that are not ideal, but it does exist, as opposed to writing off the possibility of freedom until I get out of the situation. That's not Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's not conditional upon our health, our diagnosis, our, our financial insecurity or lack thereof. It's not even, it's not even uh, predicated upon our affluence. If your affluence provides you peace, your circumstance is providing your peace, not your Lord. Be careful, be careful. Freedom is freed. Are you really expecting hope that I will in no way be ashamed. For him, being ashamed would be to withhold from them the single most precious gift that he has, the single most potent game changer in his heart, the gospel. For him to withhold the gospel, he'd be ashamed. He writes to the Romans, 116 of Rome, Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. He understands that he cannot live by circumstances and circumstances alone. He must, in the power and the authority of the anointing of the Spirit of God, find freedom where he's at and seek to maximize his potential in that circumstance to bring glory to God, and he'd be ashamed if he did anything else. See, when all we do is ask to be put and taken out of the circumstance, we make us the focal point of everything that we need and want. That actually might keep us in the circumstance longer till we learn the lesson that it just may not be about us. You know, Paul the apostle is realizing it just may not be about me. It may be about those guards and their sons and their daughters and their wives. It just may be about them. That's free. He has no selfish ambition and vain conceit. He only has the gospel. And he in no way wants to be ashamed of it. Again, things that imprison us start back in Genesis 3. Fear, shame, and hiding. Shame is the constrictor it will suffocate you. It will, it will, it will absolutely um, bring every bit of life out of you and every bit of panic into you. Shame. And he says, I don't want to be ashamed. He's fighting the very thing that would bring him to a point of self-pity and egotism. And he's saying, I don't want it. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be free. but will have sufficient courage, 
so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Something for you to think about. Discouragement comes from idleness. Courage, the opposite of discourage, comes from action. If waiting on the Lord to you is passive, sedentary, idle, stuck in neutral, waiting on God to write on the wall, enjoy your bondage. And enjoy your discouragement. Waiting on the Lord, as Isaiah says, is an active pursuit of doing, and as you do, he speaks to you, he clarifies in you, and he gives you direction. You hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, turn right, turn left. When does that voice begin? When you're already moving. He's not discouraged because he's actively sharing and making known the one who gave him his identity and to whom he belongs. He's sharing that, therefore he has no discouragement. He has action. Faith without works is? Dead and discouragement go together. Be active in your faith and you will not be discouraged. If you're discouraged today, it's because you're stuck in neutral and you're going nowhere. Two-thirds of God is go. Get moving. And don't get moving over to my office and then sit still and wait for me to tell you what you should do. No, you get going. Get going. I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Idleness uh, uh, gets uh, dressed up a lot. Uh, we, we beautify it. We put makeup on it. We put nice clothing on it. Oh, look at my idleness. I'm waiting on God. I'm being very reflective and prayerful. How long have you been doing that? Well, it's about 20 years. <laughs> about 20 years. How old are you? I'm 22. Where are you going? I have no idea. I just sit around waiting for God to speak to me. I never really do anything. Are you discouraged? Oh yeah, I'm waiting for him to speak to me. Get moving. <laughs> Idleness brings about a thick, oh, uh, insurmountable, rigid black bar over the window of your cell that you create. And prayer without any action, faith without any action whatsoever is like getting a, a toy hacksaw blade smuggled into you in a cupcake and you're trying to cut the bar. That's not freedom. I, I, I don't, he says, I don't even want out. I just don't want to be ashamed that I didn't max out the, the potential of the circumstance. This circumstance to him is a gift. It's not a curse, it's a gift. This circumstance has placed him in close proximity to people who are destined for hell for all eternity. It's a gift to him. This guy's free. What are you gonna do to this guy? I mean, really, how do you punish this guy? To live as Christ and to die as gain. What, what, what are you gonna do to Paul? 
You cut off his head. So what? To be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's even better that I go on, he says. I'm only staying back here for you. And he says, for to me, let me speak personally to you, he says, but for me. The death of the cause of Christ would glorify Jesus if he died, and that would be gained to him because of the way that he died and what he was doing when he died. It, 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 it doesn't matter. He won't be ashamed of that. He'll finish strong, and he'll, and he'll glorify Christ, and even in his death, freedom. Secondly, to be in immediate presence of the Lord for Paul was, is totally cool. It's a game. It's a game. It's a game. It's a game winner. Paul did not fear death. No Christian. Let me say it again. No Christian should fear death. Spurgeon put it this way. When men fear death, it's not certain that they are wicked, but it is quite certain that if they have faith, it is in a very weak and sickly condition. Ooh, ouch. Who is this guy? What do you fear? Why would you fear death? Why? Why would you do that? It has to be a misunderstanding of its reality. Is it the painlessness of it or the tearlessness? Is it the, the anxiety, uh, the absence of anxiety that fears you? Is it the absence of worry? The absence of sin? Is it the presence of glory? What, what, what is it? Why would you fear death? How each of us live in our prisons determines how we glorify Christ. For Paul, his imprisonment is meant to glorify Christ. Therefore, he prays not for his release. You know, God allows us into these circumstances. And for those who aren't aware, I need to tell you this. He's capable at any second of time, because he created time, to take us out of the circumstance. So if he, if he allowed us in, he can take us out at any minute, what should our focal point be? How might I glorify him and not be ashamed of it while I'm in here? That's all there is to think about, really. I met a man in uh, Turkey who's an Iranian. And he sat down with me and, he, and we had this conversation. And I was like, man, this guy's like another, he's on another level, this guy. He goes, uh, I, he was talking about being arrested. I said, well, what, what was that like? He said, well, yeah, they, they put me in jail and there was like 35 Christians in this jail and they kept m moving us around so we couldn't talk very long with one another. And I said, how long were you in, the, was your sentence? He goes, I have no idea. That was the thing. They never told me what my sentence was. They just put me in there. I didn't know if I was there for 20 years or 20 days. I said, well, how did you deal with that? I just tried every day to do as much as I could as to tell the other prisoners about Christ and to read this book and, and share it with them. He basically eager desired not to be ashamed of the situation that he was in, but to maximize it because apparently the, the Iranian state didn't put him in prison, God did. 
And they had no idea when they're gonna let him out, but I assume God did, and he let him out when it was time. Interesting. Maybe our location isn't near as important in life as what we do in it, or what we choose not to do in it. Interesting, thank you for that, Paul. For to me, he says, to live is Christ. You, you, have, life, you have flesh and blood, right? Every, anybody gets cut is gonna bleed. You get stabbed, you're gonna bleed. You get shot, you're gonna bleed. Everyone's gonna bleed in here. Uh, Leviticus says the life is in the blood. Your, your blood is your source of life. Your bone marrow is, is, is involved in that. And, and, and you can have cells in your blood that, that, uh, that make you live better and clearer lives. You can have cells in your blood that are cancerous. There's all kinds of things you can have in your blood. And yes, it, it, you, that blood is needed to necessitate biological life. It is. And that blood has to flow, it has to circulate at a certain pace, it has to move oxygen, it has to cleanse things, it has to be cleansed. It's important. But when you die, you don't have any blood. Jesus describes himself after the resurrection as flesh and bone, no flesh and blood. He's done shed all the blood he can shed. There's no blood. There's no more dead cells, sick cells, viral cells. There's none of that. There's just flesh and bone. He says, touch me. He says, flesh and bone. I, uh, he says, a, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bone. Didn't say flesh and blood. He's the life in, in, the, in the afterlife. He's the light, the sun, the moon, and the stars. You don't even need those things. He's the blood. His shed blood is our life. He is our life. For me, he says, to live is Christ, even with blood. And, and then after that, without blood, he's still my life. That's what he's saying. To live is Christ. To die is gain. This, um, this is, plays off a metaphor back in the day when a, when a captain uh, would, would pull a ship into port, deliver goods. He'd be far, far away from home, middle of nowhere. And all he really wanted to do was get home, travel all the way home. But he couldn't because the well-being of the sailors on his ship and the merchants and, and the people that he brought the products to, they all, they all needed him. They, they, it was important that he be there. It was important that he minister to them. It was important that they, they exchange commerce. It was important. But really what he wanted to do was go home. He was homesick. You ever been homesick? It's got its own, it's got its own emptiness. Paul put it this way, but if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for, for my labor. But yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is, is more needed for you. And, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and join the faith, that your rejoicing for me may be abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. I want to go home, he says. I, I just want to go home. And then sometimes we do. Years back, a few years back, I, 
I had the absolute privilege of talking to a woman who had been through 30 plus chemo treatments. I usually talk to her a day or two after each one, when she sounded the worst. I guess she complained the least. What was she concerned about in those phone calls? Her husband, <laughs> how he was going to get along without her. That's her concern. She was concerned about the palace guard. She wasn't imprisoned. One of the last things she wanted to do while she was still alive is come to this sanctuary and worship here in the mountains. And she sat right there, all 90 pounds of her. Her father wrote a poem and he gave it to her husband, recently actually, this was three years ago, and this is what the poem said. When death came knocking at your door, and called my loved one's name. I tremble about my loss, not thinking about what's gained. My hurt is deep inside of me and tears drop like falling rain. I could only think about my loss, not what my loved one gained. I saw family and friends weeping. I knew things would never be the same. The loss we shared together, we tried thinking of what was gained. No more heartaches for my loved one and no more suffering with the pain. Being in the heaven with loved ones, everyone known by their names, thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for I pray this in Jesus' name. Help me not to count my loss, but what my loved one gained. That's freedom. Over the years in ministry, I've had special privileges given to me that I didn't deserve. A woman who called me at church when I was a youth minister and didn't know who I was and asked me to come stand next to her when they took her husband off of life support. Just this green youth minister standing there with this seasoned saint and she grabbed my hand and we stood there and off he went. <laughs> I left there feeling about that big. I had no problems. The woman in a coma in Savannah, and my wife massaged her feet, and I whispered in her ear that we had led her granddaughter to Christ. She was supposed to be in such a deep coma she couldn't hear no talk. Sure did cry a lot. She soon went on to be, what was her concern in her prison? Salvation of her family. That was her ticket out. Sweet little granddaughter followed us around like a puppy and we had led her to Christ and she could go home now. That's freedom. An aged elderly mother of a person in this congregation was in hospice and I had the privilege of kind of half leaning next to her, laying next to her in the bed. I got about three inches from her ear and I described where she was headed. She went on, that's freedom. There's a congregate's brother that was lost. He's, he's horrible, just lived a life of just, things never worked out for this guy. He got put in hospice, 
I'd go see him and he was, didn't know the Lord. He, he just didn't. And it was getting very close to the end. And I realized, and I asked him, I said, what are you afraid of? He says, what happens when I die? And I said, well, this is what can happen. You'll see a door at the top of the steps and you'll walk through it and you'll see this throne room and these people speaking all these different languages and these lights and <laughs> the sounds and you'll be drawn to it. You'll feel welcome. You'll feel like you belong. You'll enter into there and you'll be more alive than you've ever been in your life. You'll have the fewest problems you've ever had and never even thought possible. He goes, I want that. I said, I know you do. But you just can't have it. You have to ask. You have to invite. I saw that guy invite Christ into his life. I think he died like two days later. That was way too long. That guy was so free. He's just gone. He, he left. That's freedom. Death is freedom. For me, what do I know about it? I, I know I'll have to give an account, as will you. What am I going to say? I don't know. Half of what I say, I say in the so spontaneous anyway. It's not like I think about anything. I'll say something like, I come by way of the blood. Like, who are you approaching? I come by way of the blood. The blood of Christ. The blood he shed. I come by that blood and I trust in his name. The name above every name. You can look at me. I said, my deliverance is him and he's my deliverer. I come boldly to the throne of grace and all I have is his name and what he's done. I, I, I can't speak to what I've done, only what he's done. I trust in the son of God. I, my only defense is my strong defender, my advocate, my comforter. I have some attorney in there somewhere. His name is the spirit of God. He'll advocate for me because of what is the son of God has done. He, He's the lover of my soul, the bishop of my soul. I, I just want to see him. Will you let me in? I want to worship him. I want to celebrate. I want to extol his name. I want to magnify him. That's all I want to do. I want to dance before him. I want to just, just be. I don't want to do anymore. I just want to be. Can you let me in to see the Holy One? I'm not here to take a bow. I'm just here to bow before him. I don't have any reason why you would let me in and of myself into that place. I won't even pretend. I just want to celebrate. I want to graduate. I just, I want to be free. You can look at me and adjudicate all you want, but here's the thing. He's already been to court on my behalf. I'm, I'm done adjudicated. Well, what have you done? Well, if it matters, I, I sought to make him known. I preached his word. I wouldn't get away from it. I preached Christ and him crucified. I tried to do that. I, I told him, and I guess you sold him. I don't know. But I have failed, and I've grown weary, and I've disappointed others, and I've fallen short. But I'm here because of what he's done. That's all. Because of what he's done. I acknowledge you and 
I've proclaimed you and I've made you known. Let's get ready to worship. That's what we need to be doing. Let's have our worship team come up. I don't know what else to say. I come by way of the blood. Have you acknowledged me before others? Because if you have, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. I have, sir. I've acknowledged you. I've shouted your name from the rooftops and I don't know how many different continents. What will I do when I get there? I'm gonna look for my family. I'm gonna look for my dad. Died a year ago yesterday. I'll look for my grandmother. I don't know what all goes on in there, but I just wanna be free. I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid to be here. I'm not afraid that I won't enter. Try to love my family, I try to raise my kids. I... I'm just here at this point. He gave me this church and I did my best. I married a few and I buried more than a few. Probably say something as stupid as that. Once I get in there and get situated and I'll think of this church at some point. I'll say something like, I know you got a Tom Banks here somewhere. John Cleveland's here somewhere. I'd like to see them and Tom James, Jenny Honeycutt, I'd like to Randall Lamp just died last week. I'd like to see him. Jim Brown, Buddy Smith, Glenda Aiken, Marilyn McIntyre. Where are these people? Chris Clifford, I'd like to see her. She was in my flock. Bill Pugsley and his brother-in-law, Neil Van Hoogen, he's around here somewhere. Bill Watts, Marianne Ulmer, Dick Rustoven. I don't know. I've been thinking about this. I'd like to see the unborn babies that came out of this congregation. I'd like to see the young babies, the stillborn. I'd like to see the young babies that... I'd like to see my old pastor. Larry Owens and Harry Estes and these people. It'll be a game to me. It'll just be a game. I won't have much to say beyond that. I've been defending myself my whole life. Half the time it's right and the other half I'm just, whatever. But to be in a place where you don't have to defend yourself and you don't have to measure what you did or didn't do or how well you did it is to me to live as Christ and die as gain. Bring it on, whatever. It's fine. But the one thing I have to do and the one thing I want you to encourage you to do is I, I never, ever, whether it's forgiven or not, it's not the point. I don't ever want to look back and be ashamed that I, that I didn't glorify him with my life.
I just don't want that. I don't really want for anything in life. I just don't want that. I want to leave everything I have on the table and move on. And I think you're the same. And I think that's why you're here. Because you don't hear much other than that here. So there must be something that resonates with you. If you have a need, any need, it doesn't matter what it is, he'll meet it. Physical, spiritual, whatever. Come to the altar and worship him. He'll probably heal you. I sense the presence of the Lord is here to heal the sick. What does someone have to do? Just stand there and believe. He'll heal you. Well, let's worship for what he's done and not what we have supposedly have to do.